Welcome to your Mindful Hour podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Marks. Every episode, we bring you a new perspective on how to incorporate meditation or mindfulness into your life. Today, I am so excited to share my conversation with Christina Rossini. Get ready to be inspired. Christina shares how her three core values, community, peak moments, and gratitude shape her daily life. How she so easily decided to be an organ donor to someone she didn't know just because she knew it was God's purpose for her. And how meditation allowed her a quieter opening to receive that guidance. This is an especially great episode for anyone with a strong Christian or Catholic faith who sometimes struggles with where meditation or mindfulness may fit. I learned a lot from Christina in this episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Christina, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you are here with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. I've been looking forward to this, so I'm glad it's here. Oh, thank you, thank you. I do appreciate your time. And I was thinking about you before our call today, and I, I've told you this before, but I was thinking about it again, that you are one of my favorite people in Dallas. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Thank you. I'm so grateful that um, for our friendship also. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I was thinking specifically, though, about why do I feel this way about her? Because there are a lot of wonderful people in Dallas. And I am blessed to say I know a lot of people that I think are great. But I thought, why is it? A, what is it about Christina specifically? Why do I feel this way about her? And I thought about it. And what came to me was that I always learn something when I'm around you. You you have a way of imparting wisdom and I always leave with a different perspective or a more renewed perspective on something that I already feel and believe. So I think that's why you are amongst the great ones here in Dallas for me. Thank you so much for that, Melissa. Um, you know, I, I so appreciate that feedback and um, you know, I, I get so inspired from other people as well. Um, yourself included. I'm not just saying that to, re- to return a compliment. I truly do. Um, but I feel that you and I are kindred spirits and, you know, I, I get so much energy and inspiration from others whenever I can also learn. Um, and especially when it comes to learning how to be the best version of myself. And I have such a passion for, for, that, you know, in, in life in general, not just my own life, but also in, in sharing and, and helping others to live their best lives too. Mm. So thank you again for saying that. You are very welcome. So let's, let's kick it off by having, having you tell us about you. Who are you, Christina Rossini? Yeah, man. Well, I'm a Capricorn. I'm a dog mom. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a sister. Um, Let's see here. Well, I guess going back to basics. Um, 
born and raised in Dallas and uh, have a wonderful, um, very supportive, uh, big family. Uh, every Almost every member of my family lives in the city of Dallas, um, including my dad is one of eight, every single one of his seven siblings and my dad and my last remaining grandparent, my, my dad's dad, all live in Dallas. Mm. So, um, you know, I, people have said they need to make a reality TV show about, you know, the big Italian Catholic family like that, you know, like that they don't really exist anymore. Like they used to, you know, big families aren't really around as much. Um, and it's a, it's a very unique family. And, um, and I'm so grateful that I, that those are my roots. Um, I think that, I think that family unit really, um, set a lot of the course of my life in action. Um, for that, I'm really grateful. So anyway, that's kind of where I came from. And, um, graduated from high school, uh, here in Dallas, a, a little school called Ursuline Academy and, uh, went to University of Oklahoma for, um, for a business degree. We got my marketing degree up there and, uh, I graduated in 2008. And then after school, I, um, a college buddy and I went to Central America for six months and we were, we were, um, farming volunteers with this organization called WOOF, which stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. And we worked for three months in Costa Rica and three months in Panama. And at the end of that finite six-month uh, tour, uh, we, uh, we each went back to our respective homes. And I began my, uh, what began as a, a tenure corporate telecom sales career um, from starting in 09 that I, uh, I just recently exited six months ago, um, to run my company full time. Um, mm, so exciting. that's kind of the brief history. Yeah. It's very, very good. Yes. I want to touch, uh, at, I want to go back and talk a little bit about the Italian Catholic background and, and how that's informed who you are. But before we do that, tell us a little bit more about your current businesses. Yeah. Well, I've got a, I've got one business and I've got one lightly, lightly monetized hobby. (laughs) And, uh, so I'll, 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 um, the hobby that's kind of become a small business is, uh, I, I create community through purpose-filled international travels and I, uh, I, I coordinate and escort group, um, pilgrimage travel internationally. So, uh, my history by merit of my own faith orientation, I've, um, I've done majority Catholic group pilgrimages anywhere from group sizes of five to 40. And I will, um, I'll align with, um, with a Catholic priest and we'll, we'll take a group of people to Italy or the Holy land or, um, the shrines of France, um, trips that I just recently got back from in November. Um, so we'll do, um, we'll fly over to the country together and, and do a fully guided, escorted um, tour group with a tour operator, and you know, travel around, stay in different hotels, et cetera, and and um, and have like a religious, cultural tourism trip. Mm. Amazing! What inspired you to start doing that? I think the inspiration came from when I was a when I was a um, a junior up at OU, going to college. I studied abroad for my spring semester and fell in love with the world, um, and learned that, um, learned that anything is possible and, um, really fell in love with traveling. And, um, it seems like that was, uh, 
that was definitely the beginning, you know, and I'm so grateful that study abroad programs have become so accessible, um, have become so much less expensive and way more um, mainstream, you know, now more than ever before. And so I'm grateful that a lot of other um, students have been able to receive that same gift, mm-hmm. um, you know, expand, expand their mind, expand their, um, their social strata and, um, you know, expand their worldview with, with um, study abroad programs. So that's really where it began. Um, and then it was uh, through um, after college, I went to Costa Rica and Panama for six months and, you know, had that travel there. And then um, I've always loved, I've always loved Europe and I've always loved, you know, just like the um, kind of any kind of intention surrounding international travel outside of just tourism, you know. Um, so I, I just thought, well, you know, I'd love to partner up with, you know, my parish priest at my church here in Dallas and see if there's an opportunity to to take a group with the priest to go, you know, go to Italy. So that's where it began. We took a group of 35 to Italy um, in November of 20, 2014, I want to say it was, something like that, 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, 2014. Yeah, that's where it began. And then it's, we do about a trip every year, year and a half or so. So I'm really interested, and I know you have another business, uh, so tell us about that. But I want to go back after you tell us about your your other business and talk about faith and the integration of faith in your life, because it's it's clearly there, and I want to learn a little bit more about that. But before that, yeah. tell, us, tell us about your other company. Yeah. So... Um... In 2017, one of my college friends um, invited me to visit him as he was um, running an impact project for this particular, for this coffee cooperative in Chiapas, Mexico. And he invited my husband and I to go check out this coffee co-op that he was spending the whole summer of 2017 with. So uh, unfortunately, my husband was not able to to join. So I went and checked out this coffee co-op with my college friend, Stephen. And... um, while we were there at the co-op, um, the co-op approached Stephen and I both and said, you know what, guys, we're, we're really well established in Mexico. We've got all these coffee shops around, um, around the country on different university campuses, but we really are missing um, relationships in the U.S. And we think that you guys could both be integral in helping us expand into the U.S. Would you help us? Um, so he and I were like, well, of course, you know, we would love to. Um, but we don't really don't know what this looks like. And, and the co-op said, don't worry about it. Just carte blanche. Just do what you ever think you is best in terms of building relationships and helping us go to market in the US. And we said, oh, well, okay, sure. I mean, um, so, so that was the summer of 2017. And um, fast forward, um, we started with, we imported some coffee um, and sold it at one Christmas bazaar um, in Dallas that, that Christmas. And uh, my... Um, my friend Stephen is, um, by merit of his his job, his profession, he's extremely well connected in the um, in the Catholic Jesuit um, realm here in America, and so he um, he just started telling his his colleagues and his friends all across the country about this this cooperative that has this great coffee and it's a socially conscious um, coffee that they, they roast at the origin. Um, the co-op has their own state-of-the-art roasting facility in Chiapas, Mexico, where they not only pay the farmers, the smallholder farmers that are part of the co-op a fair price, a fair consistent price, um, shielding them from volatile coffee price. Um, they also then convert the raw material into the finished product at the origin, uh, which is very unique. Not a lot of other co-ops do that because it's expensive to put up the capital to have a roasting plant. 
But that roasting plant really is a differentiator because it allows the, them to convert and create the finished product, thus keeping a lot of the profit local in the, in the local Mexico community. And then they export it and they get global market access. Um, so that's, that's the deal. So we just, mm. um, we've been importing and, um, uh, and distributing. And interestingly, the, the cooperative, um, going back to the, the, the Catholic roots again, the cooperative has been around for 25 years and it was started by a group of smallholder farmers that went to the Mexican province of the Jesuits that have been mm. with this with this population for 60 years. And they went to so 25 years ago, the, the farmers went to the Jesuits and said, um, we've got to we need to build a better, more sustainable economy for our for our coffee, um, our coffee commodity here. We're losing too many people, too many farmers to um, seasonal migration because they just can't make it um, um, with selling the coffee at unsustainable, um, you know, non-fair trade pricing here. Mm-hmm. So the Jesuits helped the farmers organize and have been supporters ever since. But um, as the Jesuits do, they're really big on education and business entity formation. And um, uh, the Jesuits are very, um, are very apt at, at um, running successful social enterprises. So um, they kind of helped them form and it has kind of been like supporting, um, walking with them in solidarity. But it's definitely been a... Um, um, a very sustainable, well, well-run um, machine. So anyway, um, Stephen, my my college friend, is a Jesuit priest here in America. Um, wow. He's he's also based here in Texas, although not Dallas. So as you can understand, um, by merit of his connection to the Jesuit roots in Mexico, um, the story translates very well. You know, along with um, social teaching, social justice. You know. Um, helping uh, workers increase their own agency and create true sustainable development and, you know, alternate economies. Um, anyway, wow. so, so that's very conscious. how it happened. Yes. It's incredibly conscious. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it really was the perfect storm. I mean, we're down there and he's a Catholic priest, you know, he knows about this co-op and, and then he's just through word of purely like through word of mouth. Um, you know, all these other Jesuit churches were like, how, how have we never, heard about this co-op before and yes we want to support and how can we order it you know how do we buy this coffee and, and Stephen's like well talk to my friend Christina who's distributing out of her out of her home in Dallas and so we that's how we started and Amazing. we now have 20 in, in just the last year our first import was um the holidays the 2017 holiday um and just in a year we've we've um been working with 20 different unique Jesuits specific institutions across the country and we've shipped coffee we've shipped coffee to jesuit clients from san francisco to manhattan so what is the name of it and can other people that aren't jesuits find it and buy it absolutely um so we will sell coffee to anyone who would like to support a socially conscious um uh economic development project and, and who also enjoys a really good premium organic arabica coffee so um, it's very good means. and it- it anyway, is very well, good. I have you. had it and I enjoyed it very much. And I'm not a Jesuit. <laughs> there you have it. Exactly. You we do not discriminate. We, just, we don't discriminate, but we definitely leverage our resources. <laughs> yes. Yes. So anyway, tell us um, the name the, and where online folks can find that. Yes. So um, the, the coffee brand is called Capel Peak, C-A-P-E-L-T-I-C. And you can find it through my website, Inasor International Holdings. And that's I-N-I-S-S-O-R.com. Okay, great. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Okay, so very conscious business interwoven with your faith. Let's jump into that a little bit more. What 
what's it been like being Catholic? And, you know, there's so much fallout in the Catholic church, a lot of people losing faith and leaving the church. There's certainly been a lot of uh, horrific things that have happened and controversy, etc. Tell me about you personally, your faith, and what it means to you to be Catholic. I assume you're Catholic. Because, or, or I am, you tell, yeah. So tell us, tell us what it means for you to be Catholic in today's world. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that because not a lot of people do. Um, so I guess I'll preface it with um, I grew up Catholic from the womb. My entire family is Catholic. And uh, I went to Catholic school from kindergarten through 12th grade. So most of my, uh, you know, most of my, my posse that I'm going life with, um, going through life with are all of the same faith orientation. Um, so I didn't really ever, um, think anything different about it. You know, um, I guess it's kind of like if you, you know, you, you grow up in, in Brooklyn and everyone around you is, uh, is Jewish, you know, and you go to Jewish school and you, you know, you, um, uh, you, you get your bat mitzvah and, mm-hmm. you know, and that's told your entire, you know, your entire, uh, ecosystem. You know, I, I really never thought twice about it truly. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and it was just, so it's always just been like part of my, my, my thumbprint, you know, my, my fingerprint is, um, you know, it's I'm Catholic. And, mm-hmm. um, interestingly, I've never, you know, leaving the faith for, for a lot of people, dare I say most people, is a part of the journey, is a, you know, um, questioning is a, part of, is a part of faith. And a lot of people do depart and then um, perhaps they, they come back, perhaps they, they find their own path and, and don't return to the church. But um, interestingly, I never, I've questioned things, but I never, um, I never questioned anything to the point of looking outside of the church. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love the... Um, I love the ritual, the history, um, and the dogma of our, of the faith, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. I really appreciate also that it's, it's constant, you know, it's consistent. It's, um, it's not, it's not trying to put on a show to be, um, appealing or attractive. It's not putting on a concert at the altar. You know, it's not serving Krispy Kreme donuts after, after mass in the parking lot. You know, it's not, it's not showboating. Um, it's very much, here's what we're about. Um, you know, here's what our catechism says. Um, all are, all are welcome. And here's what we're about and, you know, take it or leave it, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot, I really do like the, um, the, the black and whiteness of it, you know? Um, and also obviously the Catholic church, I mean, the, challenges are nothing new, you know, there's been, um, you know, the, the church has gone through struggles repetitively, especially, um, even just here in Dallas where we are, um, you know, there, there's been sex abuse issues, um, and lawsuits and, you know, there's, um, there's been a lot of challenges there, but, and it's driven a lot of people, a lot of, um, of Catholics away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how I reconcile it is, of course, you know, it's, it's entirely upsetting um, and there's no excuses. Um, but the way that I, I remember, remind myself of it is um, 
the church itself is perfect. It's the humans that work within the church who are imperfect. Mm, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, making that distinction. You know, I mean, human beings are imperfect, are imperfect things. Um, you know, the church herself um, is a perfect institution, but it's the humans that are the imperfect things that that um, that 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 do the bad things. You know, sure. And I, it's, I think it's important to to remind ourselves of that distinction. I think so, and so because I I know a little bit about you and I know that you have a meditation practice. That's about all I know. I don't know a lot about how that began with you because for just right off the bat, being Catholic and then also having a meditation practice is is a little bit like, oh, okay, that's different. You don't hear that every day. And I can I can attest to the fact that a lot of people uh, not a, not everybody, but there's still a misconception out there that if you are of the Christian faith or the Catholic faith, that somehow you're dabbling, dabbling in Buddhism if you're meditating, which isn't the case. There's a lot of kinds of meditation. Of course, there's Eastern meditation, but there there's other ways to meditate. And some are secular, some have you know, Christian and Jewish roots. And so there's a lot of different ways to meditate. And I'm really interested about when that part of your life unfolded, the meditation part. Can you speak to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that as you're just saying what you're saying about, you know, kind of reconciling like the, the Catholic faith with uh, meditation and mindfulness, you know, uh, it, I remember I reminded myself of a, of a memory and I had to smile. Uh, I, I remember years ago before when my my grandmother, my extremely conservative Catholic grandmother was still alive. Um, she, I, I made a comment to her. I told her I was going to go to a yoga class and she like looked at me and like raised an eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> you heathen. What are you doing? <laughs> I know, exactly. And I was like, I thought to myself, oh, is that like, what's, and she said something, you know, made a parallel to like Buddhism or something. I forget what exactly it was, but it was just a very, very small comment. But I thought to myself, I was just like, are these incongruent? I had no idea. Like, whatever. Um, but uh, you know, what's funny. I, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've read, I've read a lot of uh, opinions, especially of, of conservative Catholics that really poo-poo and really look down upon mindfulness and, um, um, what's mindfulness and, um, um, Meditation? what's the synonymous term? The what term? The synonymous term, the synonymous term with, um, with mindfulness. I'm thinking of something else. Um, hmm. anyway, uh, and they kind of like poo-poo and no, I don't, I, I don't know. I'll think of it later. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, like the, you know, I, I've seen I've seen conservative Catholic writers talk about, um, you know, how you can't be you can't practice mindfulness meditation and also be Catholic, and, and I'm like, and they're mutual exclusive. You know, I'm thinking, what in the world? I mean, I, I, personally, I have a very large devotion to the Holy Spirit. Um, I've been to Holy Spirit retreats. I'm reading a book on Holy Spirit right now called Moving in the Spirit by Father Dick Hauser, who's a, a recently deceased Jesuit priest. You know, I'm I and I'm also reading. Um, uh, Jesus Calling, which is a daily devotional I've read for years. It's a devotional for every day of the year. And I'm reading a little book on mindfulness. Mm. And these, and all these books in the Bible, 
goodness sakes, I've got the Bible, I've got Jesus Calling devotional, I've got mindfulness book, I've got this book on the Holy Spirit. So tell us, <laughs> how it, yeah, how does it interweave? What what's the difference for you? In well, let's let's start back with when when did you actually begin meditating? You know, I think I began. I think I began meditating. I feel like I've I've been doing it for quite some time, but I think in most recent adult past, um, incorporating it with any kind of regularity and consistency is, um, I think I started about mm, maybe two or three years ago. Um, Mm I, uh, I've always, I've always been working in sales, corporate sales. And, um, as such, I've had a a flexible work schedule. And I, um, when I was reporting to an office, I would pretty much have my whole days free and I go back into the office in the afternoon and wrap up. But anyway, there was one day I was, I was out about between meetings and I, I had this, this, the inclination to pop into this um, chapel at a Catholic church um, really close to my, my sales office. So I just popped in, I went to the chapel and it's a, it's what's called an adoration chapel in the Catholic faith. um, uh, Catholics will do this thing called adoration, which is basically um, it's just silent prayer Um, Mm -hmm. and um, silent prayer um, in front of the, um, the consecrated Eucharist. and some every every Catholic church has chapels, and many of them have these Eucharistic adoration chapels. And basically, you just um, we go and um, we we sit in prayerful, um, gratitude-filled um, prayer, you know. Um, and it's a it's a very powerful prayer where um, uh, people who who pray um, in front of the the what we call the Blessed Sacrament or the Consecrated Eucharist will feel very 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 close to to the Lord. Um, because in our faith, we believe that, um, the consecrated, um, host is, um, is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. So, um, I know that everyone feels like it's that way, but that is, um, that's how the Catholics feel. So mm-hmm. anyway, so mm-hmm. we like to go and spend time, spend time with Jesus in this, in this chapel. Right. So, um, I popped it. So I just had this inclination, um, pulling me into the chapel. So I just went and I spent maybe, I don't know, 10, 10, 15 minutes or so. And, um, and people are, are praying with their eyes open, their eyes closed, you know, reading the Bible, um, kneeling down, sitting down, um, all sorts. There's no right way to do it. Mm. There's multiple people in this chapel and, and everyone just, I like it. Everyone just kind of prays their own way, but in community together. That's beautiful. Tell so yeah. what's so, the difference for you between praying and meditating? Hmm. Well, very little difference, actually. Mm. Um, oh, tell us more. Yeah. So, very little difference because um, when I pray, um, I just, you know, here, here's, here's what happens. You know, I seek out quiet. I try to... Um, I'll take some, I'll take like some deep breaths in, you know, count to four, pause at the top and then exhale, you know, out counting to four. Or so, you know, I'll do some deep breathing. And I, um, I also try to, um, I'll kind of, I'll connect with the Holy spirit. Um, I feel a very strong connection with the Holy spirit. And I feel that's my, um, my higher power. And, um, 
I love to always begin prayer and meditation with gratitude. Um, and I feel like I never have trouble thinking of something that I'm grateful for. Um, yeah. And I'll, and I really try to, um, talk to, talk to the Holy Spirit or talk to Jesus as if, as if it's, they're right next to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, or, uh, like as almost like as equals, you know? Um, and, uh, and then I'll also say, if I, if there's something really weighing on me, I'll say, you know, I'll be like, Lord, please help me untie this knot. Please, please help clear this resistance. Please help me find a way to solution, you know? And I, I really just kind of, I'll just kind of stream of consciousness, um, have a conversation and, um, uh, there's a lot of answers that come to me. For instance, this is bizarre. Last week I was, um, uh, I, there was a big expense that my bookkeeper couldn't, she asked me what it was and I, I had no answer for her. I had, I had no record of what that was. I couldn't remember it. And it was a big expense. And I just, I couldn't account for it. I had to tell her what it was. Um, but I just couldn't recall. And, uh, so in my meditation, it was really weighing on me that answer that question. And so I was in my meditation and I just started the prayer and I said, please, Lord, please help me helping me to answer what was that big expense that, that the bookkeeper needed? What was that thing that happened on, on December 7th? And, and as soon as I asked that, I, I got, I felt that the Holy Spirit was inspiring my thoughts and it brought me to the answer. And I, as soon as I had it, as soon as I knew what that, that expense was, I mean, it was like, I, I was, I was like watching a, a rewind of like what I was doing that day. And I got there and I, I immediately opened my eyes and I gasped and I jumped up and I was like, that's what it was. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. so thrilled. I mean, it was so, it was such a, it was such a vivid and surprising and quick understanding, you know? And then I, I thanked the Holy Spirit for, I was like, thank you so much. for giving me that wisdom and the understanding to come out and answer. Thank you so much, Lord. <laughs> you know? So, so nice. it's, um, yeah. And I really, I understand. I feel like it's, it's a dialogue, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I also, a lot of songs or, um, images, you know, people's faces or words or, or, um, song, like spiritual songs and, um, music will, will come into my mind, um, typically while I'm, while I'm, um, praying. But again, I, I, I really do equate prayer and meditation. It's so similar. They're so intertwined, you know, and mindfulness is not just some Eastern philosophy. You know, it's mindfulness is just being intentional about whatever it is you're doing mm-hmm. um and focusing you know and that's so to me that's so spiritual i don't understand how you could possibly separate them yeah yeah no it's so it's so cool to hear your experience and i love that they are so interconnected the prayer and the meditation because what i'm hearing is Prayer, I've often thought of it like this. I don't know if this relates to what you think or not, but that prayer is talking to God or asking something of God and Mm -hmm. the meditation piece is the receiving. It's the listening part. Mm. And so it sounds like that was what happened You in that instance that you asked for guidance, Mm -hmm. you asked for help, and that was the prayer part. And then mm-hmm. you were quiet and you listened and something came down and you received the information divinely, right? Something, mm-hmm. would that be a, another way of saying it? 
Yes. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And I really like that. You know, prayer is the, is the talking and the meditating is the receiving. I like that a lot, you know, and something else is prayer looks different, you know, as, as the human moves on through life, you know, like as children, we're taught to pray and you talk, you know, you kind of talk to God and like, look at God as like a parent, you know, um, or even something you can't even conceptualize, even like past the point of understanding it as a parent relationship. But anyway, you talk to, you, you ask God for things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ideally as your prayer life increases, you know, as, as the human develops into an adult, um, you know, ideally the prayer, the, the relationship does as well, you know, um, and and yeah, that was the case for me. Although, I mean, granted, of course, um, that's not always the same correlation. I mean, there's a lot of adults that, that still, you know, still maybe, you know, pray only when they need something or that's the only way that they know how to pray. Um, mm-hmm. But it is, it's it, prayer is a relationship and just like relationships change, you know, you know, your relationship with your, with your parents when you're five is different from the adult relationship you have with your parents, um, you know, as you grow older, um, when you yourself are an adult, yeah, you know, the relationship, um, matures just like, um, just like prayer life, you know, prayer life matures. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, I'm reading this book right now on, on the Holy spirit by father Dick Hauser. And, um, he explains there's a, there's a purgative way for prayer and there's a, there's a contemplative section of prayer and uh, there's an illuminative prayer and it's basically the three different sections of uh, segments of prayer um are all based on your relationship the human's relationship with the holy spirit and what you know kind of where your relationship with the holy spirit is is um if you believe you know if you look at the spirit as um something that you can't touch you know something that you just kind of like um revere to and kind of submit to or um versus you know, that's the purgative and then versus the, um, the contemplative, um, God, I forget how, uh, it's kind of more of peer relationship. And then with the, with the, uh, illuminative, that's where like, like you, the human spirit are one and the same entity. Oh, yes. Okay. Nice. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm hearing from what you're talking about, where it's when you, when I asked you the question, how are they different? And you really, you couldn't pinpoint how they were different. They are one and the same. You're that mm-hmm. connected in with spirit in the meditation. And mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy working with people that happen to have a strong faith because they're kind of the easiest ones to teach meditation to frankly because they're they get it they understand something Mm -hmm. bigger than them and then it's just a matter of of deepening that connection inside the body inside the mind and sort of bringing it in to be soul embodied what does it mean Mm -hmm. soul embodied and it sounds like that's part of what or that's what's absolutely happening with you. Can you give an example? Uh, yeah, I love the uh, the bookkeeper example, but can you give any other examples of having powerful prayer slash meditation experiences where you felt called to do something, act in a certain way because of uh, that process? Oh, totally. Well, first of all, um, I've learned that as I've as I've gotten older and and um, increased my my prayer life has matured and my meditation has matured. Um, I've learned that my decision making has gotten so much clearer 
mm. and so much better and more and more alignment. Um, I'll give you a specific example here in a moment, but as a general rule, the more mindful I am and the more in tune. And when I say mindful, it's quiet, you know, in a position, you know, in a receptive position to receive whatever I'm given spiritually or otherwise, you know, spiritually or secularly, right. On the human plane or the spiritual plane, you know, I just receive what I'm given. And, um, and I feel that once I, when I accept that as a way of life, of just accepting life on life's terms and just receiving what I'm given, learning how to change expectations. Um, that's when I've been able to, when I, whenever I have questions about life, I can very easily, I can very quickly discern um, and see the right path because I feel that the spirit is always with me and always advising me whenever I ask for it, you know, and I, I feel like I can receive the answers whether I like it or not, but I, I know the answers when I see them. That's so, so that's general. Yeah, that's you the general are, you're rule. S- you're so ahead of the curve. Just, just saying that that ability to have that kind of trust and faith, the inner mm-hmm. connection there that informs your discernment is—it's beautiful and and something that a lot of people struggle with and ultimately aspire to. So, mm-hmm. very well said. So, thank you for the general and now one of the specifics. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, one of the specifics. So, um, I guess there's a two-part answer. So, number one, um, a couple of years ago, I went on a silent retreat um, for a weekend, and I was just me without my husband, Mark. And um, I did a lot of reading and journaling while I was at this retreat. And I basically, I um, during this retreat, I I established. Um, I can't understand my, my, and I put words to my, my core personal core values are. And, um, I, I realized through lots, again, lots of journaling, lots of reflection, quiet time, that everything that I do in life really boils down to like the good, the fruit that comes out of my life all boils down to one of three things, community, peak moments and gratitude. Wow. Community, so peace, moments, and gratitude. And pre- yes, and really, I mean, my work, you know, the the things that I do in life, both work and fun and whatever, you know, hobbies, traveling, et cetera, you know, family time, everything that gave me energy was one of those, you know, kind of led back to that, um, that um, mouthpiece, you know, one of those three core values. Um, and then also things that brought me peace versus, you know, and, and were a deterrent from anxiety, you know, a lot of things peaceful in my life that brought me peace were also led, you know, were also from, you know, a place of gratitude or um, creating peace moments or community, you know, anyway, so I kind of, I was able to get really centered there a few years ago. And that, that experience on the weekend talent retreat, where I was able to identify my core values, that really helped calibrate my compass and helped lead me on the right path to really starts to help me to further discern opportunities in life versus distractions. Um, mm, mm, nice. And so truly, um, you can't, you can't do that interior work without, with, with chaos, you know, with, with mental and physical clutter and with the lack of, with a lack of quiet. So, um, um, or we you know it's too much noise in life, you know, anyway. So, um, that's just, that's number one. Once I did that, then I was able to, um, 
receive much clearer messages in life and be able to um, to identify places where I can step in and um, and make tactile moves to um, to live in accordance with with those values. So as an example of that, a few years ago, I was in a business meeting with one of my clients when I was in selling telecoms, and um, I were talking. Me and uh, my client Wanda were making small talk, and um, the conversation led to healthcare. And um, she was telling me about how her daughter-in-law had uh, has this um, kidney failure, and had recently um, like had emergency, like she had to go to the hospital for kidney work, and um, has this autoimmune disease. And anyway, bottom line, needs a kidney transplant. And um, Wanda is telling me that. The whole family had recently gotten, um, she'd recently gotten on the kidney transplant list and the whole family was really hoping for a living donor because a living donor kidney is a better quality kidney from a deceased donor and also lasts longer, like twice as long, like it lasts 20 years or longer. Hmm. Anyway, so Wanda's telling me, so I'm like, really, tell me more about this. This is fascinating, you know? And anyway, so Wanda's telling me, like listing off all the qualifications the living donor would need to fit in order to be a good donor for her daughter-in-law, Sandra. So she's saying, you uh, know, oh, they must have a positive blood type, got to be a non-smoker, have a body mass index of like less than 30. And she's listing off all these things. And mentally, I'm at the conference table listening to her and I'm checking every hmm. box. Wow. And after like the fourth or fifth like line item she throws out there, like, yeah, the donor's got to have this and that, chicken fat and everything. <laughs> I, uh, I said, I, I, I heard, like I felt this message very loud and clear. It said, I'm going to be her donor. Whoa. And I wasn't even sure what my blood type was, but like I inherently knew I'm like, I'm pretty sure I think I'm a positive, which is the blood type of her daughter. Anyway. So, um, uh, so we, we carry on, we start talking about telecom and, you know, business and everything. Anyway, so, um, I find out, um, the, the hospital that, um, her daughter-in-law Sandra is like working with for their transplant team, you know, for the, to go on the list for the transplant. Anyway, so I contacted the hospital and, um, told them who I was. And I was like, I want to, um, I want to sign up and apply to be this one particular patient of yours. I want to be her donor. Anyway, so that, that kicked mm-hmm. off the process and, um, thus began a, uh, um, a few months of testing. I went in for testing, lots of blood tests, um, checking to make sure, you know, uh, I, first of all, I was, my, my blood type matched, you know, they, they did a, um, they put our, our cells together, like in a blood sample and they matched and they were good. It was, wow. it was a good fit. Um, anyway, um, wow, Christina, for the next, yeah, for the next few months, it was, um, it was termed that we were, we found out to be a match and, um, and then we had a, a successful kidney transplant in March of, 2015. Only because we're we're getting short on time, I just have to cut to the chase. Did you have any moment of doubt or just like, oh my God, this is a big thing to do? Did you have any anything like that come up after you got the clear message? Um only one. There was one evening I was driving home from work and um I was thinking about the scar that I would have. I don't Google kidney transplant scars, especially yeah. if you're going to be a donor because, <laughs> oh my God, it was like, I mean, every, every photo I saw was everyone looked like a freaking shark attack victim. Oh no. And so anyway, so I started to feel a lot of anxiety, but I was, and I was praying and I was like, Lord, if this is the, I was like, if this is the right thing, you know, please help me get, 
get okay with, you know, I understand there's going to be a scar and I guess this is just how it's going to have to be, you know, but I was really feeling anxious. And then, um, that evening, uh, a family friend of mine, um, uh, returned a, a Facebook message that I had sent her several weeks before that had previously gone unanswered. She responds to my message that night, like an hour later. And she said, I hear you're going to, you're doing a kidney just like I did 20 years ago. Yes. I'd love to reconnect with you and I'll, I'll be happy to share with you my experience and let's talk. Wow. And she, uh, and so that, that was such a peaceful antidote to anxiety that I started to feel. And that was the only one instance of anxiety that I felt throughout the whole process. I'm pretty blown away and I'm not surprised that I'm blown away by you. And it's just a, another example of how much faith you have and trusting that voice. You're open enough to hear and to receive, which already is something incredibly special. But then when you hear something that's really selfless, this is not just, hey, let's go volunteer at the soup kitchen. Like, I mean, nothing to take away from that. That's an amazing thing to do if, if you're <laughs> guided towards that. But this is something uh, on another level of selflessness. And I, I think just the fact that you were so willing to do it, it, it's, it shows that you really are interweaving your life with God's purpose for you. And it's one and the same. And it's, Really, really cool, Christina. I'm really impressed. And uh, like I said in the beginning of our time together, I always come away with something after I talk with you. So thank you for sharing that special, special story. Well, thank you. And again, that goes back to, um, you know, my core value of wanting to um, provide peak moments, you know. Um, And uh, I, I felt like that was a you know, it was a peak moment for me, but, you know, especially so I was able to provide a peak moment for Sandra, you know, for getting her kidney. And it might interestingly, like, hold on, hold on. I just have to interrupt. So that's a fascinating way of looking at that. You consider that a peak moment for you. See, I would, I, I miss that. I would have definitely thought, yes, peak moment for her. And I would have thought it's, I, I don't know what word I would have used. I guess selfless came to mind, but it's interesting that in your experience that felt like a peak moment. Can you just describe that a little bit more? So humans remember two things, the peak moments and final moments. And I feel a responsibility to, um, to create more peak memorable moments, you know, good memorable peak moments. Um, and I don't, I don't even consider that the whole kidney transplant deal, that wasn't a choice for me. It was truly the, the answer was given to me very loud and clear. Mm. And in that business meeting, mm. you know, um, mm-hmm. there was no, it wasn't a question. It was, I'm going to be her donor. It was, I wasn't even looking for anything, you know, and it mm-hmm. found me. And, um, you know, and I, again, there was, people have asked me, oh, well, how'd you come to make this decision? And I said, I didn't. I mean, it was made for me. I, I truly believe that I'm, I'm merely the, I'm merely the pen that God is writing with, you know? Um, Mm. I really, I consider myself the instrument that God uses in order to, to um, fulfill his plan for us on earth. You know, he uses us in order to fulfill his work. And so I'm, I was more than happy to, to be a vessel in which to, um, to have the Lord do his work, you know, and to help, 
to help heal Sandra. Truly, wow. truly. Yeah. I mean, it's really that, that black and white. Thank yeah. you for, for just being you and thinking in these ways. And, and the, I guess the last question I have before we turn the page to eat the hummus, because I, I know we're getting close to our time today, is do you think that since this show is about mindfulness and meditation, do you think that if you didn't have an answer, honestly, because if, if, if it isn't, it's not like I'm trying to sell people on, you must meditate so you can hear things. But do you think that the meditation mindfulness piece added to your ability to receive and hear messages more clearly from God? Yes. Okay. All right. That's cool. I, I, I figured, but I wanted to ask. Yeah, totally. Um, and the biggest part of that um, is, in, is embracing silence and moments of solitude in life mm. to be able to, because it's a, it's a lot, it's really, really, really hard to, um, to receive messages when there's so much clutter around, not just physical clutter, but mental clutter and, you know, auditory clutter. Um, it's a lot easier to hear God whisper when it's quiet. Oh, oh, I love it. Let's end on that note. What well said, my dear. Well said. Thank you for sharing you and your story. Just a bit of it. My gosh, could talk to you for so much longer. And, <laughs> and you and I will get together, I know, and and do that. Uh, let us turn the page and go into the section called hummus among us and we oh, have, love it yeah we have some hummus here that you selected i always give guests the option of choosing their own hummus for us to to partake in and you did and it's one i've not had before so i love getting to learn about new hummus it is the whole foods brand called lemon hummus and is there a reason you chose this one in particular christina well, um, I like lemon and, uh, I was in front of the, the hummus selection at Whole Foods yesterday looking for chocolate hummus, which I've been wanting to try, which I'd heard about and they didn't have any. So I thought, well, well I'm just going to go ahead and try a flavor that I haven't tried before yet. And I like lemon. Well, let's give it a go. Excellent. Yes. And I'm, now that you've put chocolate hummus on my radar, I'm dying to try that. So, okay. So we are going to start to eat. So for anybody that's listening that does not enjoy the sound of people eating, this would be a great time to take about 30 seconds and move away and then just rejoin us in about 30 seconds. <laughs> so I'm going to open up my hummus. I've not tried it. Have you tried it yet? Yes. Okay. It's really good. It's good. I, I just it? eat it with a spoon because I don't have any carrots or celery oh, or anything. Oh, funny. I have cucumber. So let me go in. This is my first bite. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's got a good tangy flavor. It's really good. The lemon is nice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I um, when I was in college, I over the Christmas break and like spring break and things, um, I would waitress at this Lebanese restaurant in my neighborhood. Unfortunately, it shut down. There was a really good Lebanese restaurant called Hadari's, and they made everything homemade, like homemade hummus, baba ganoush, everything, even like the um, 
uh, rice pudding made with rose water. It was all very authentic Lebanese. Yum. And this, this is the closest representation to that homemade hummus that I've ever had Ooh, from a packaged hummus. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Have you ever the, had the lemon? Have you ever had the hummus from Cafe Izmir? I think so. Okay. It's it's really good there. I think so. It is really good. And it, it's different than this, but when you were talking about the Lebanese restaurant, I was thinking, ooh, mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. really nice. Let me have another bite here. Well, authentic homemade hummus typically includes in the ingredients list lemon juice. Mm-hmm. But the lemon really is an, is, is an active ingredient in, um, in homemade hummus. But you can't always taste the lemon in packaged hummus. It's usually like really chickpea heavy. This You're is a right. great flavor. You're right. This is a really nice one. I would never have picked it up. Never, ever, ever. So I like the lemon. It also has a mild taste to it as well. It's it's a nice, it's just a nice hummus with a kick of lemon mm-hmm. to it. Good, yeah. good choice. Good choice. Thank you. What's, what's your favorite hummus? Oh my gosh. Well, in terms of store-bought, grocery-bought, mm-hmm. um, right now I would say... My favorite hummus is the one that comes from the deli at Central Market. Mm. It's nice. And they've got two different flavors. One is artichoke and one is the regular. I prefer the artichoke. And then for packaged hummus, there's a brand called Roots that's really nice. I like that. Mm-hmm. But I am I'm always I'm always on the hunt for new for new yummy hummus. So thank oh, you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your hummus and your time and your integration of the the prayer. I mean, I think that's what was most I was most curious about is the way prayer and meditation looked for you. I knew you had it because you told me you meditated, but I really didn't know how it all came together. And again, I think there are a lot of people that have a strong faith and a strong Christian faith, but are a little bit gun shy about meditation and don't really understand how it could fit in. And I think you have a nice story about how it works for you. It's not to say that that's going to work for everybody. And we're not here to tell people how to pray and all of that business, but I think just simply by sharing your authentic story, my guess is that it will impact people that have a strong faith and perhaps encourage people to explore what it might look like or feel like to create that space where there is more silence. Mm -hmm. And I like how you said decluttered, a decluttered space mentally in your mind is going to allow you to receive God's words in a, in a much clearer way. And it's a great, a great message, I think, Christina. So many thanks once again for joining me today. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for, um, for sharing the time. This was, this was so nice and peaceful. Mm. Yes, I agree. Well, thank you, my dear. Till next time. All right. Au revoir. Have a good one. Thanks again.
Hi, thanks for spending some time with us today. Please let me know what you thought of the episode and please subscribe to the podcast. Look out for another episode in the next couple of weeks. Until then, love yourself and love others.